listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You can go ahead and have a seat. And I tell you what, I'm going to do that today too. I'm not going to preach at you today. I'm going to save that. Uh, but the good news is, we will soon be walking through the book of Ephesians. So if you're looking for maybe something uh, to begin reading over the next uh, year, I'd encourage you to begin reading uh, the book of Ephesians because you will get so much more out of it. Uh, if you put some time in before, as we're going to walk through that book uh, starting in just a couple of weeks. Uh, but this morning, I want to invite you to the book of Second. Corinthians uh, chapter 4. It's what we're going to kind of talk through today because really I want to just kind of pose for us just a couple of questions to maybe be thinking about because 2020 began with a bang. Um, I was just sitting thinking through the things that I could actually even remember and there's probably a lot I have forgotten. Uh, but if you remember back, uh, 2020 began with the major fires in Australia uh, then it seemed like every other week there was another hurricane in the Gulf. Uh, I can remember the tension uh, between the U.S. and Iran. We went through impeachment hearings. Uh, there was these things called murder hornets, but I've yet to see one, uh, but I heard about them. There was the big uproar when uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle stepped away from the royal family. Uh, I can remember for the basketball fans uh, watching Kobe Bryant and his daughter when they died in a, a helicopter crash. Uh, if you watch certain countries as we do, uh, having an interest there, uh, the civil wars that are going on in Ethiopia. Uh, then we hit spring break at one time, and then spring break turned into two weeks. Uh, then it turned into homeschooling that rolled straight into summer vacation. And then there was this thing called, as my mother-in-law would say, I think she's watching this morning, the COVID. Uh, the COVID hit. It was things like schools closed. We watched many restaurants shut down. People lost their jobs. There were plans that were made that many had to cancel. We saw mental health issues begin to increase. Stress put on the homes as we're trying to balance all this time. We've never been together this much and what do we do? Watching isolation take place, especially with loved ones that could not be visited and seeing many that their family members die not being able to have a funeral. And so COVID brought on many, many challenges, even in the church. Uh, I'll never forget those early days where we were trying to figure out how to record these things. And it took us about 12 times as long as maybe it should have, but we never done it before. And we're trying to figure it out, trying to make it look good with, with cell phones and iPads and uh, watching that go on, figuring then how to do live broadcasting. And then uh, we made a man a millionaire who ever created Zoom uh, when everything kind of went to that, where life groups were meeting online and as awkward as it might have been, but still trying to connect to people. And then just the stress of, how do we begin to start meeting together and 
man, everybody, we all had opinions and there's all these expectations and thoughts. And how do we navigate all of that? But through all this, there is something that has been unbelievably interesting to me. Um, six months before this happened, so almost a year, or actually a little bit over a year ago, and I, I think Hillary was actually sitting in this meeting with us, we're having what we call vision team. And uh, it's all the campus pastors and the other pastors uh, from missions to executive pastor. And uh, we're sitting around and our senior pastor, Ross Strader, do you remember this, Hillary? He posed a question. So no, this is not on anyone's radar at all. And he says, hey, I just want to ask you a question. What, what would you think would happen if we woke up one day and there was no Bethel? Or what if we, we could no longer meet anymore? What would we do? And here was this thought. You know, we're getting to think through. We kind of go through the routines and we get stuck in those. We get comfortable. But his point was this. If things changed or even became more difficult, he said, our calling as pastors, as ministry leaders, as believers, that doesn't change even if we can't meet together. Now, I'm not saying it was prophetic, but I'm telling you, it kind of made me stop in my tracks and go, he had no idea this was going on or going to happen. But his thought was pretty thought-provoking to see how things began to play out. So the next thing, next time Ross Strader says something, I'm really going to listen and really going to pay attention. But so I want us to think about those lines. And here's the thing. I know we don't want to think about that. We're ready to roll to 2021 and we're ready for sunshine and rainbows and being able to do all the things that we want to do in the way we're used to doing them. So humor me for just a little bit. What if 2021 what if there are actually more challenges? What if it actually becomes really difficult for believers, for Christians to actually meet again? Or what if it's even more difficult? I, I think of Dave and Mary that are our missionaries in Seattle. They've yet to be able to meet all together on a Sunday morning as their church. Living in a difficult place, they still can't do that. They've been trying to do some some in-person gatherings throughout the week, but they've yet to be able to gather as we've been able to. But maybe ask it this way. What if there comes a time in our lives where it's actually difficult to be or to actually live as a Christian? Because if we're all honest, we live in a very comfortable place of the world and uh, we live in Texas in the Bible Belt where it's actually really comfortable. It, it's really easy for a person to, to become or to live as a Christian. In fact, I would say it's almost even expected. You know, the first question you get asked is maybe where do you live or what do you do? The next question usually is where do you go to church? And it's very comfortable. It's very easy for us to live and to gather as believers. Because man, on Sunday morning we can sleep till seven. We wake up in a house with AC and food in it. We get in a car that we own that's pretty reliable unless you have one of mine. You drive 15, 20 minutes maybe at the most. You come in and we gather and it's really, really easy. But think about what if we lived somewhere else? 
where I, I love, I enjoy, I'm thankful for our religious freedoms. But what if we lived somewhere to where we lived in a place with no running water, no electricity, where we had to take two or three transportation modes just to gather with other believers, maybe go through several checkpoints, not knowing if we're actually going to have something to eat that day. What if we lived in places like that? What if we had to actually meet in secret? Or what if actually proclaiming to be a Christian or living as a believer actually put our livelihood in danger? Would we live any differently? But it's easy to forget that's really how the first, the early church actually began under extremely difficult times. In fact, you could actually actively be sought out. You could be arrested. You could actually even be stoned for your beliefs. In fact, we have a man that actually lived that and records a lot of it for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So let me read for us this morning. Um, we'll probably make it through verse 15. So let me read 7 through 15, and let's walk down through this together. This is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So the death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and I so have spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is for all of your sake, so that grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Church, pray with me. Father, this morning on this very last Sunday that we are privileged to gather in this year and we do not know what the next days or weeks or months brings. Lord, I think that thought almost a year ago still rings true today that our calling that doesn't change. No matter what our circumstances might be, the, the calling you have placed on all of our lives as believers, that does not. So I ask that you would help us as we're going to simply just kind of talk through these verses that you, your spirit would lead us this day. Lord, I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So look back at verse 7 where Paul begins and he says, but we, speaking to the believers in Corinth, we have this treasure, he says, in jars of clay. 
to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So what does Paul mean when he says this treasure in jars of clay? And you have to go back to the previous chapter, uh, probably the beginning of chapter 3 to right where we picked up in verse 7. Paul describes in what this treasure actually is, and this is what it is. Paul says that when you are in Christ, you have this treasure, and he described it as the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But still, what does that mean? That, that seems like a lot of words. And if you had to boil all of it down, this treasure Paul is talking about is simply the knowledge of salvation. We would simply say the gospel. To understand the gospel, to recognize your need for it, and then to experience God's mercy and grace when we really begin to understand all of that is. And that is the treasure that, that Paul is describing. This knowledge of who God is and what he has done in his glory that comes to us through Jesus Christ. So this, this priceless treasure, Paul would describe it. But look what this treasure is placed in. So for believers, you have this treasure and notice where it's stored. It's, it's not in some ironclad vault. It's not stored in some safe. He says in a jar of clay. Well, in their context, they would immediately understand what Paul was talking about. That, that vessels made of jar were their ordinary uh, kind of vessels that they used each and every day. The closest thing we might have would be the little plastic containers you pick up at the grocery store. You put leftovers in them, use them for a few times, and then you just simply throw them away. If your kids leave them at school, it's really no big deal. It's this thing that doesn't cost very much. It's very ordinary. And Paul is saying that is what this treasure is stored in. This ordinary, just kind of, not meaning much, this very fragile jar of clay. And so I think this is what Paul is getting at. There's this jar of clay that's fragile. It, it cracks. It has a limited use. And then it's just moved aside for something else to replace it. But it can offer absolutely no protection for this treasure. It's flawed. It's fragile. These beings that hold and possess this priceless, powerful treasure. Because notice one of the reasons Paul describes it. It's in verse 7. It's put in this vessel that's fragile. It's flawed. It, it's it's going to have a limited use. But this treasure is stored in this so that the surpassing power belongs to God. Not the one that holds or has the treasure, that it's to him, that it's in the weakness of this vessel that the power of the Lord is actually seen. But then he describes what they're experiencing in verse 8. Think about that vessel. It's fragile. It, it, it cracks. It, it doesn't offer much protection. We're afflicted in every way. That means to be squeezed or to, to be put under a great amount of, of like pressure. But it's not crushed. It's perplexed, meaning it, it, it's confronted with loss. 
but not driven to despair. It's persecuted, meaning pursued or hunted down, but not forsaken. It's struck down, means to be hit with a weapon and knocked to the ground, but it's not destroyed. And this is coming from a very personal place for Paul. In fact, when he's in Lystra in Acts 12, he's beaten, imprisoned, carried outside the city and stoned to the point that they think he is dead. So they leave and he wakes up and walks back into the city. So Paul knew he's writing from very personal experience. He knows what it means to be afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. But Paul sees within him this priceless treasure, even though he would say, I'm weak and I'm frail and I'm fragile. But in his weakness, these become occasions, opportunities for God's power to be seen. But then Paul says some very strange phrases to me. Look at verse 10 again. Always carrying the body... In the body, the death of Jesus. So the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live, we're always being given over to death. This is not some little Hallmark Christmas movie here. For Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us. But life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with him. And bring us into his presence. So look at one of those first interesting kind of strange phrases. He says, I'm carrying, we're carrying in the body. In this group of believers, the death of Jesus. Paul is saying that he is spiritually alive because of Christ. It's his death that makes me, makes other believers alive. And then he says the death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So he's saying all the battles, all the struggles, all the pain, that he or maybe the other apostles, the other believers that have been going through, he would call that death. That is so that other people can experience this treasure that Paul knows that he has. He says, we're going through this death so that others can have life. That he's saying his struggles, his pain, even his death is so that others would come to know Christ. But when you think about Paul, you turn a few chapters over to chapter 11 where Paul gives it in detail. He says, five times I received 40 lashes where he was punished for what he believed and how he lived. And they would take this whip and they would beat him 40 times. Actually, they could not do 40. It had to be 39 because 40 was considered excess. But five times he went through that. Most people never survived it. They would uh, bleed to death. 
three times he was beaten with rods. Three times he was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He says, I've been persecuted by my own people, the Jews, and also by the Gentiles. Out in the country and in the city, I was persecuted. But he even says, I'm even under the pressure of the churches that I go into that are causing me extreme anxiety. So one question I have is why in the world would somebody go through all of that? Why would they endure five times being beaten, 33 times with a rod, being shipwrecked three times, being stoned, persecuted by those that he considered his own and by those outside, by those in the city and those in the country, even in the churches? Why in the world would Paul go through that? Well, he tells us in verse 15. For it is all, all that I have gone through, all that I will go through is for your sake. So that grace extends to more and more people. That it may increase thanksgiving and glory to the Lord. Paul says that is why I'm going through all of that. I don't know if I've ever met anyone like that. I would hope to be like that. But I don't have much faith in myself. Maybe after one beating, I think, you know what? This isn't worth it anymore. But Paul says, everything that I've gone through or will go through, it's also that grace will extend to more and more people. That this treasure that I have, that others will experience. Because what is amazing to me is that is how the first church began. And remember where it began? It begins in Jerusalem. Picture where that is. It's in the east. Who is controlling and persecuting the church and Christians? It's the Roman Empire. And where is Rome? It's to the west. And when you watch the church beginning in Jerusalem, guess what direction it goes? It heads west. It leaves Jerusalem. It hits Corinth. It goes through Asia Minor. It's heading to Rome. To the heart of where all of their trouble is stemming from. That is where the church is heading. And Paul says, I have this treasure. It was knowing Christ and the truth of the gospel. But this treasure is placed in a fragile vessel. It's weak. It's frail. But Paul says, I'm willing to go through all of this and more. If that means others get to experience the treasure that I have. So many of us have kind of finished up Christmas. Maybe you have one or two more. I'm not for sure. But think about all these gifts that were exchanged of expressions of love and appreciation that we give family members watching their faces light up. Watching them get excited about these gifts. You know, there's all kinds of ways to measure the value of a gift or the value of something. Well, if you're a parent like me, the one thing that you're going on is what that gift cost me and how my bank account has been depleted and how we're, you know, we're going to make up that lost ground. But there's another way to value the worth of something. 
the worth of something is, is not what you spend to have it. But it's once you have it, what you would give up in order to keep it. You know, you give your kids a gift. And man, they're all excited. And they don't know that it costs $49.99 on Amazon. You go through a few weeks, maybe months. And before long, it probably doesn't mean much. You ask them, well, what, what would it take for me to buy that back from you? It's probably going to be a lot less than what we spent. But when you're given something that has incredible value, it isn't what it costs to have it, but it's what you would give up in order to keep it. So let me paint it this way. Isn't it hard to imagine life without a cell phone? As much as we hate it, it's this love-hate relationship. But it's, almost, it's hard to imagine life without it anymore. I mean, I've got my phone. Everywhere I go, I can click in a map. It'll take me right where I want to go, tell me when I'm going to arrive. I can find the closest gas station. Views ways, they'll even tell you where cops are. You can surf the internet anytime you want. You can go to the bathroom and no longer have to read the back of the shampoo bottle. You can play a game. You can do your banking with your phone. You have instant communication to people all over the world. You no longer have to go home and hit the button on the answering machine or, or wonder where you're going to, you know, somebody's worried about me if I'm going to make it there. It's constant communication. And these are valuable instruments that hold our lives in them. But let me ask you, would you give up your car for? That means of transportation, it gets you where you need to go to work, that takes you to the store where you're able to buy the things that you want to buy. It's the mode of transportation where you can go and see friends and family. When you turn 16, it's your independence. Would you give up your car for that phone? I don't know, I probably would. Now you got that car. Would you give up your house for? place that brings you comfort and protection, where your family lives, where you create memories, would you give up your house for that car? I mean, I would. I'd figure out how to buy another car. But now your house, that valuable thing that we have, to maintain it or to keep it, would you give up your family? And I would say, Absolutely. Because they mean more to me than that house. We'll figure something out. Because the value of something is determined not so much by what you would give to have it, but what you would give in order to keep it. So hear me, salvation is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing you do to earn it. But once you have it, what would you give up? To keep it. For Paul, he says there isn't anything I wouldn't sacrifice. In fact, he'll go on to say, when I look at everything around me, everything that I have, that he would count everything as a loss. In fact, he calls it rubbish, trash, for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. He says there isn't anything I wouldn't give up. To keep that. 
So the value of something isn't determined by what you might spend to have it, but once you have it, what you'd be willing to sacrifice to keep it. So I don't know what 2021 holds. I hope it's great news. I really do. But what if there is affliction? What if we're confronted with loss? What if we actually become persecuted? What if we are struck down? Well, I don't know, but I hope that we would be people that understand the value, the eternal value of this treasure. And we would be like Paul to say, there isn't anything that I would not give to have this. And even to the point that we would be willing to go through incredible hardship so that others would be able to experience that same treasure. And so I hope that would be us. I hope that one day that we would look back, and if it is, and I hope not, but if it is an incredibly difficult year, to the people of Bethel Bible Church, that it would be said, you know what, there wasn't anything that they weren't willing to give up for the treasure that they knew they had. In fact, I am one that now has it because of what they went through. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.